You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast Network. Let's get fired up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Fired Up Broncos podcast, a part of the Fired Up Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Seegers of Mile High Sports, as well as the Mainly Broncos podcast. Uh, and I'm just so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I, I think we've got a great show uh, planned moving forward. Um I'm just so happy to be on board such an exciting uh, new podcast network and be a part of a a really great uh, team that Brian Lamb has uh, uh, done a good job of assembling. So make sure you're you're plugged in and stay in tuned for uh, all the other fired up podcasts on this network as well. Uh, For today's show, uh, we're going to start off by looking at uh, uh, what what is the show going to be moving forward. I feel like that's important to address in this uh, uh, first episode. And then we'll get into uh, uh, some more fun stuff, um, previewing big training camp battles on uh, both offense and defense uh, for the Denver Broncos this uh, training camp period. You know, OTAs are getting underway, and you can feel it. Football's, football's starting to get here, and uh, it's, it's an exciting uh, uh, time for Broncos country. Um, So my vision for this show is to open it up every week, you know, with a a recap of the news or or what's going on with the Broncos, you know, give you guys a a, a bit of my thoughts on, um, you know, either the game that went down that week or uh, the latest training camp development. Maybe Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the team. Um, so we'll open up the show with uh, uh, that aspect, and I'm really excited for that. This is a, a preferable medium uh, for me to writing because um, you know it's very easy to say 700, 700 words uh, as I fumble over saying it, but uh, despite that evidence, it is uh, much easier to communicate some of these concepts or complex concepts uh, through audio than spending hours writing an article, you know, when you can just say it in a, in a matter of minutes, it's nice. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then in the back half of each show, I'm looking at, a, a getting in a good guest and we can have, um, uh, their insights on what's going on with the Broncos or their upcoming opponent or, uh, the game that just happened. And, you know, we, uh, it's something I really want to spotlight is having a, a really good guest each show because Broncos country truly uh, has an incredible array of talent, uh, much more so than most uh, uh, fan bases. Um, there is a lot of uh, knowledgeable fans, of course, but knowledgeable analysts um, that offer a really unique and exciting uh, perspective on the game. Um, you know, and there's uh, uh, some uh, more uh, known guys, maybe more famous. Famous feels word to feels weird to say in this context, but um, uh, more famous guys like Benjamin Albright and Ryan Edwards of 850KOA, who we're open to get uh, on this show here soon. Um, as well as uh, maybe some lesser-known figures like uh, uh, Joey Richards or um, Robbie Davis, uh, two smaller guys um, that are just getting started out but are 
unbelievably smart. Truly, it is in, insane that they don't have a bigger platform than they are than they have because uh, they offer um, just such an intelligent perspective. So, uh, a wide array of who we're going to have on, um, and also uh, I think that's going to just make the show better. But we are going to have a lot of people on. So, if you have someone you want to hear and you want to catch, uh, make sure. To suggest it because we're going to be also going outside of Broncos country for our guests. Something I'm very excited for is I want to have, you know, and maybe it'll come through uh, uh, our Fired Up podcast network here, but I want to have experts on other teams. You know, when the Broncos play uh, uh, the Giants in week one, I believe, um, I want to have, you know, someone who knows the Giants on the show help us break down the New York Giants because. You know, I, I pay very close attention to the NFL, but the Broncos are my job. That's the team I am an expert in. Um, I would love to get someone who's an expert in the Giants because I'm, I'm just not going to be an expert on all things. It's impossible. But I'd love to get an expert on the Giants or the Jaguars or the Chiefs, you know, fill in uh, uh, the team there um, to help break down and preview that game with me because uh, they're going to have a... a opposite perspective and i think between um someone like me who spends their time covering the broncos and someone uh pull a name out of uh, the hat like ben glassmere who covers the the dallas cowboys um we might have very different uh opinions on how that game will play out and i think the truth will oftentimes lie uh somewhere in the middle um but anyways that about wraps it up for uh, uh what my vision is for this show moving forward. I hope that sounds interesting to the rest of y'all. Um, and we'll make sure to have some fun along the way with games and whatnot as well that I have planned. Um, but let's get down into the nitty gritty now. Enough of that boring stuff. Uh, let's look at training camp upcoming and uh, some training camp battles. And there's a lot on this Broncos roster that's still up for grab. Um, quarterback, of course. You know, that's going to be the big headliner uh, between Drew Locke and now... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, but even behind them, there's the conversation of what now happens to uh, Brett Rippon, who, you know, is probably a, a middle of the pack to lower end backup quarterback, um, but deserves a place on a final roster in the league. I think we saw that last year when um, uh, uh, Jeff Driscoll was struggling mighty, mightily, um, and uh, uh, Rippon was a bit of a reprieve from that. Um, you know, out of the the four quarterbacks uh, the Broncos had play for him last year, uh, unfortunately it was four uh, between Locke, um, almost said Teddy, uh, between Locke, Driscoll, Rippon, and Kendall Hinton. Um, you know, <laughs> low bar to clear, but Rippon was definitely the second best of the bunch, um, and I think he showed some promising things despite the the three or four interceptions he had against the Jets. I really think those uh, interception totals were inflated. Um, you know, I, he, he's a guy where I think uh, uh, he'll be around in the league for a long time as a as a, a solid backup, maybe a, a below average backup. He reminds me a lot of Kellen Moore, who, of course, did not help out the Cowboys much when he was inserted into the starting lineup. Um, and it's a bit of an easy uh, uh, comp because of the uh, whole Boise State late round quarterback aspect. But I, I do see Brett Rippon being a, a backup for a good stretch and then maybe getting in on the coaching side. I remember when uh, the Broncos signed him as a UDFA, uh, uh, digging up a lot of quotes about people uh, uh, talking about 
how he was so smart and, and likely had a future in coaching. Um, so I think that is a, an under the radar as, aspect to uh, watch in the quarterback competition is what does happen to Brett Rippon. Can the Broncos hold on to him on the practice squad or does he get poached? And in which case do we see, you know, that, that case cook guy come back or uh, who knows what happens there. Um, but let's get into the, <laughs> the headliner uh, enough time on Brett Rippon Locke versus Teddy. That's what it's all about. Um, and although this is going to be in the marquee, this is the headliner, this is the, the battle everyone's going to be talking about, I think it's going to be more, um, uh, uh, you know, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather than the Thrilla in Manila. You know, this is not going to be a classic fight. It, it just doesn't make sense to me to give the week one starting job to Teddy Bridgewater. You know, everyone, all of us know that Teddy Bridgewater is not the long-term starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. He is not their starting quarterback in 2023. He very uh, probably isn't their starting quarterback in 2022. It's, it's probably a one-year proposition. Locke, and, uh, you know, I come down uh, for p- listeners that aren't familiar with me. I am not a big Locke believer, but Locke has potential to be the quarterback in 2022 and 23 and 24 and so on. He has the potential to be a top 10 quarterback, you know, a potential franchise quarterback one day. And like I said, Teddy does not have that potential. So it would seem so odd to me to give up on Locke before the season starts, unless Teddy just so blatantly wins the job in camp. That's still a possibility that Teddy is just so clearly better that they can't convince the locker room. It would risk losing the locker room to give Drew Locke the job. In that case, I think Teddy wins. But otherwise, like when Justin Fields is there on the board at nine, some of it was a bet against Justin Fields, but passing on him is also a big bet on Drew Locke, as are a lot of the Broncos' other offseason moves, only bringing in Teddy Bridgewater as competition, for example. But the big one is passing up on Justin Fields, who... I think most in the media, or or at the very least, a lot of people in the media, thought was the second best quarterback in the class. And he was only second because Trevor Lawrence, you know, has been the number one quarterback since his, you know, junior, senior year of high school. Um, Justin Fields is a phenomenal quarterback. I was a big uh, uh, supporter and fan of Justin Fields is a prospect. He was the most accurate quarterback in the class and one of the most athletically gifted as well. And you hear um, uh, teammates gush about his work ethic and his intelligence. Um, and then you see how gritty he is and how badly he wants it. Like he, He's the reason um, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, definitely the Big Ten. Um, but then once the Big Ten domino fell, the, the Pac-12 soon followed. Um, he's a maybe the number one reason the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had a college football season this year. And then in the semifinals, he uh, uh, gets hit in the ribs by Skalski, um, linebacker of Clemson. I believe he uh, breaks those ribs and then stays in the game and outperforms Trevor Lawrence uh, on his way to a win. That might have been the best game of Fields' college career. Uh, That's a hard guy to pass up for me. Um, So I think, and I'm not the only one with that opinion either. So I think 
it'd be so weird because you're not passing up fields for Teddy. Again, Teddy is no long-term potential. He is a one-year band-aid slash source of competition for Drew Locke. You know, an upgrade on backup quarterback so we don't see a Jeff Driscoll disaster this year. (laughs) With that said, you are passing up Justin Fields because you like your prospects with Drew Locke better, or your chances with Drew Locke better, rather. Kicking the can on that before the season even starts means you are removing that hope that maybe you have the potential answer at quarterback already on the roster. The Bears have that hope, and they will have that hope, you know, for a while. I mean, it's lasted the Broncos or some Broncos fans, you know, a couple years. Um, The Bears might have that hope for a long time. If you bench lock before week one, you all but extinguish that hope for Broncos country. It's like, hopefully Teddy can be good. Because also, it's so much weirder to go from Teddy to lock. Because you're benching Locke to make Teddy the week one starter. And then going back from Teddy to Locke, you're already uh, uh, not putting in a vote of confidence on Locke and his progression and him taking this big step this year. Why should we have confidence that Locke coming in and starting in week six is is now ready to make that big year three, la- year three leap that he, uh, he needs to make? I just, I don't see the uh, uh, reason to believe that. So I do think unless Teddy Bridgewater so blatantly wins it that it's not even worth debating, um, they will allow Locke to be the week one starter. I think what this competition is truly determining is how short that leash is. Um, You know, are we looking at uh, if it's really, really close um, and then Locke stinks it up in the first two weeks, Teddy could get in there by week three. If Locke clearly looks better and is showing a lot of promise and excitement, um, uh, uh, that will, um, you know, maybe give him a little more rope to work with, let him get into the season a little further. And that might be important because week one, that Giants defense coached up by Patrick Graham is not an easy matchup. They got a lot of talent um, this offseason. They were already one of the better defenses in the league last year. And Patrick Graham, you know, showed the chops of a, a high-end defensive play caller. Um, he's going to have a lot of time to prepare for that week one matchup. So that's definitely a concern for the Broncos. On to our second matchup. I will. Uh, I should give a prediction on all these really quick. Um, like I said, I think Locke gets it week one. Um, I do think we see Teddy Bridgewater start games at some point this year. But if I had to guess, I say Locke starts about... 11 games on now to our next battle the running back position and this one this is the fun one the the like i said the quarterback battle is the the marquee one it's going to get the headlines it's going to get the eyeballs running back battle so much more fun so much more interesting so much more watchable um uh, javante williams and, and melvin gordon battling it out for who's going to be that running back one. And it should be an exciting one. You know, uh, Melvin Gordon was a solid back for the Broncos last year, beat out Lindsey for the starting job by season's end, though some of that had to do with Lindsey getting beat up. Um, But it was an up and down season for him. You know, saw lots of fumble problems. Of course, you had the uh, 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 potential DUI. I don't know the right way to describe that um, without uh, uh, potentially getting in trouble, but uh, I'll say potential DUI, the alleged 
DUI, perhaps. Um, and until that situation was resolved, there was a chance that uh, uh, if suspended by the league and if found guilty, um, he could have been released by the Broncos. They would have been able to void uh, some of his contracts. So I don't think Melvin Gordon is some shoe in for the starting job. They clearly have uh, them, or they being the Broncos, clearly have some displeasure or dissatisfaction uh, with what he gave them last year. Uh, clearly, they drafted a running back, or traded up rather, to draft a running back in the second round. That's <laughs> You don't do that unless uh, you have some qualms with what you presently have at running back. Um, so I think Javante Williams has a much better chance in this competition than people are giving him credit for because he's also a very, very talented running back in his own right. If you go back and watch the North Carolina tape, he he can do it all. I mean, maybe you don't see a, a true long speed where he's going to uh, pull away from a cornerback or make a safety look absolutely silly on an angle. Um, that might be the aspect of his game that's missing, but uh, he also, I believe, led the entire uh, uh, draft class of running backs in a uh, rate of rushing for either a first down or a touchdown, um, which signifies some uh, a level of explosiveness. Uh, so... Uh, Maybe he's not going to hit that 40-yard run, but he's going to hit a lot of 10, 15-yard runs, and that's that's great. If you're getting you know, 10, 15 yards on, a, on a, a carry consistently, that's fantastic, and I think you can get that from this guy. He, I, The comp that everyone used, and I think with good reason, is Nick Chubb. You know, He might not be the, the biggest weapon in the passing game, though— uh, I actually do like him better than Chubb there. I, I think he is a, a good pass catcher who can make an impact for the Broncos there and also be solid in pass protection from day one. But what's really going to excite you with Williams is his contact balance and the power that he runs with. He is a monster to bring down, uh, as seen in the the Miami clip that's gone viral um, and that I'm, I'm sure you've seen before. And, and you definitely saw if you watched the draft because I, I feel like they played it a few times. Um, uh, he has that uh, kind of Jim Brown-esque attitude, or maybe it was Walter Payton. I think it was Walter Payton, rather, uh, of I'm just not going to go out of bounds. I'm going to stay in bounds and get every yard I can out of this play. And Javante Williams is fantastic at doing just that. Uh, the other thing you got to love with Javante Williams is he's got very little tread on his tires. He is uh, very fresh. And I, I think that's huge for especially taking a running back as high as the Broncos took him. You want to get time out of this guy. You don't want it to be a foregone conclusion that um, giving Williams a second contract is a bad idea. You know, it might end up being a bad idea. And we're getting so far ahead of ourselves even having that conversation. But you look at uh, uh, guys like Najee Harris or Travis Etienne who have twice as many touches. Already we're in a place where, man, it might be dicey giving those guys a second deal. That already has to be on your mind if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Broncos, I mean, yeah, we got to worry somewhat about is this second round pick going to see a second contract purely because of the position he plays, but Williams is very fresh for a, a, a college prospect at running back. On top of all that, 
running back is one of the positions in the NFL where it is easiest to transition from the college game to the pro game. I'd actually argue it is the position that's easiest outside of maybe kicker and punter because I, I don't understand the inner workings of those positions enough to, to really give uh, accurate analysis on uh, the transition from the college to the pro game there. But out of, uh, uh, you know, real positions on offense and defense, it's running back. Easily, you you look at um, guys like Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who, and it's not to say that Ezekiel Elliott's a bad running back now, but they often peak their first three years in the league, um, and they can be a fantastic player after that point. But you likely aren't going to get that same uh, uh, level of play you saw early in their career because it's just a very very taxing position, and it's also one that. Uh, doesn't change a lot from the college game to the pro game. You know, there's not a, a, a big change in what's being asked from you. You might have to pass protect a little bit more. You're obviously going up against better athletes, but that's really it. You know, most other uh, uh, positions are asking a lot more of you on, a, on, the mentally, or on the mental processing side of things, as well as being, um, you know, a lot more athletically uh, taxing. And, you know, at cornerback or on the offensive line or defensive line, those uh, athletic disadvantages where you can't just bully someone athletically anymore like maybe you could in college. Now you're going against another grown man. Um, Those uh, uh, matchups can be a lot harder to win for rookies. At running back, that impact of experience or or veteran know-how is pretty limited. Um, uh, so man, it's really tough. I, I could see Javante Williams winning this battle 100% for everything I said. And I do think, frankly, at this point in his career, he is better than Melvin Gordon. If you want to look for evidence of the declining running back point, I was making look at Melvin Gordon. He's declined. I mean, his rookie year struggled. But year two was the best year of his career. Year three, probably the second best year of his career. And it's been a steady decline since then. You know, uh, that's why I think you want to get the most out of Javante Williams early. You don't want to waste much of his clock. Um, And again, I, I think he's a better running back than Gordon. Deep down, though, my gut says Gordon wins the week one job. And it might be silly, but it just they've got so much invested in him you know, uh, uh, over $8 million invested in Melvin Gordon this season. It's a lot of money to be playing, a, to be paying a number two running back. Um, you know, I think Javante Williams eventually steals that starting job because, you know, they're going to be splitting carries. It, it, who's the starter is merely a title. You know, they're going to be splitting carries pretty evenly all season long. Really, uh, Gordon, I think, is going to start week one. Williams is going to enter the lineup and just wow everyone with his talent. I, it, he jumps off the tape when you're watching North Carolina tape. I, I'm excited to see, or curious might be the better word, to see what Sam Howell can do without such a talented surrounding cast. Because, man, uh, uh, Williams was that dude last year. And I think he's going to be that dude for the Broncos this year. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of see things go the way it went in the Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, uh, uh, battle where the incumbent maybe has that lead in week one, week two. Um, but before too long, 
uh, uh, that addition, the player the front office wanted to bring in, um, eventually steals the starting job. And just like a quarterback, that's not the end of the conversation at the position. Because Freeman, Royce Freeman, and Mike Boone are also going to be in a battle. Now, there's a chance the Broncos keep four running backs on the active roster. But there's also a chance they don't. They've got a lot invested in their first two. It makes sense for a team like, um, you know, the 49ers to have four or five running backs because they're a run-heavy team that doesn't have a ton of capital invested in the position. You know, the Broncos have a lot of capital invested in the position. Um, You might not necessarily need four running backs, uh, especially if they end up carrying a fullback, which seems like a possibility considering they carried Andrew Beck last year and signed an undrafted free agent fullback this year. So it's definitely a possibility. Um, Between Freeman and Boone, uh, if if only one of them can make the roster, Boone should be the heavy favorite. Uh, Freeman is just much much more limited in what he provides to the roster. Um, He is much more one-dimensional. And I don't think they have a need for him anymore. He he, Weirdly, and it's not that Royce Freeman was a great receiving back, but weirdly he had a lot of receiving responsibilities because uh, uh, Philip Lindsay struggled so much as a scat back. Now with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, who can both be better assets in the passing game than Royce Freeman and better power running backs, frankly, what does Freeman provide? Not, not much, you know, Mike Boone provides speed. He provides juice that the running back room otherwise doesn't have. He also provides an excellent special teams presence. He also uh, will cost the Broncos money if they get rid of him. Well, they can uh, free up more than a million dollars by getting rid of Royce Freeman. So that one, to me, that one seems like more of a layup if that does end up being a battle. I think Freeman's best odds of staying on the roster are the Broncos keeping four running backs. On to wide receiver. The headliner here, Tim Patrick versus K.J. Hamler. Uh, and of course, there will be battles towards the back end of the room, but I don't, I don't think we'll get into all of those this week. Um, looking at Patrick versus Hamler, um, this one I think is also going to be one of the uh, uh, more intriguing positional battles. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, my money is on Patrick. For starters, he's proven it. Um, he's Last year was a phenomenal effort from Tim Patrick. He really looked like uh, at least a number two receiver in the league, and hopefully he gets paid like one um, in the 2021 offseason, or 2022 offseason, rather, um, but after the 2021 season, uh, because he, he looked like a, he should be starting somewhere in the league. The Broncos are just so loaded at receiver, and you know you want to get those first and second round picks on the field in Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, so it makes life a little more difficult on Patrick than he would have it on uh, other teams. You know, you put him on the Green Bay Packers, he's immediately that team's number two. Uh, you know, it, you might even put him ahead of uh, Robert Tanyan in terms of just pass catching weapons. Drop the receiver title. Um, because of that, I think Patrick's going to beat out Hamler. Um, he is more proven, and Hamler uh, has 
one issues with consistency um you know looking at the drops and whatnot and two uh injuries you know he just tweaked his hamstring uh at otas today which has been a problem uh, for him dating back to the 2019 college season and hamstrings have a tendency to fester so that's a, a a major concern ultimately though i think what this battle comes down to is how they fit with the quarterbacks hamler is more of a teddy bridgewater wide receiver uh you hit him on a slant route right and he can take that thing to the house Teddy Bridgewater is not going to wow you with his physical abilities. He is a precision quarterback. And K.J. Hamler, considering his frame and his speed and explosiveness, he is a precision weapon. He's like a scalpel. Patrick is like an axe. And axes are awesome too. Like none of this is disparaging. They're just different styles of uh, accomplishing the same goal. And Patrick can be more brutish and he can outmuscle a lot of defensive backs. And he's going to have incredible hands that are very trustworthy. And he can go up and win those 50 50 balls. And he can adjust to an inaccurately thrown pass. And he can give the quarterback a bigger catch radius. And because of that, a bigger target to throw the ball to. And because of that, he's more of a Drew Locke receiver because Drew Locke has serious accuracy issues as well as decision-making problems tim patrick's going to be more advantageous to him there kj hamler is a little guy and if you don't hit him right in stride you limit his effectiveness tim patrick makes his money on those difficult plays um so again i think it comes down to who wins the quarterback battle and uh, as i mentioned earlier i think Locke should be the favorite there uh so my bet over at wide receiver is Tim Patrick beats out KJ Hamler. On to tight end. Uh, this one on the back end of the depth chart, I think uh, Fant and Oakwavenom, uh, depending on how Oakwavenom comes back from uh, injury, um, they're pretty set as the number one and number two tight ends. Um, you had to be impressed by what uh, Alberto flashed last year. Um, but that number three, they do want more of an inline blocking tight end. Though Fant is developing there, they do need more of a reliable uh, blocking tight end. Um, and they've got a lot of options on the roster for that. They signed a free agent, Eric Schubert, uh, maybe Schubert, uh, from the Jaguars this offseason. Um, the Jaguars, though, might have the worst tight end room in football, and they let him walk. So that should be telling. Uh, you also look at uh, uh, Sean Bayer, an undrafted free agent they added. And then the three that uh, were already part of the room, uh, Troy Fumagalli, Andrew Beck, and Austin Fort. Uh, starting off with Fort, I really like the talent. You know, dating back to, I believe it was two preseasons ago, what he showed was awesome. However, dating back to even his college career at Wyoming, he's been injury prone. And that trend has continued into his uh, uh, NFL career. And so I think it's safe to wonder if once again that will prevent him from making the final roster. To me, he seems um, least likely to win this five-man battle. 
So I'd rank him fifth. Fourth, I'd go Eric Schubert. The Broncos did sign him this year, which gives him, you know, some uh, 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 somewhat of a leg up. Um, and he also is uh, uh, the most experienced, the, the veteran of the group, I guess. But he's not good. <laughs> I don't know what he offers. I don't know what he offers. Um, he really isn't that great of a blocker. Uh, looking back at some of his uh, tape from uh, his time with the Falcons and the Jaguars. And he offers nothing as a receiver either. Um, I think Fumagalli is a much better blocker. Um, I think they're comparable as receiving threats. Uh, Fumagalli might even be a little better there. Beck, much better blocker, similar as a receiving threat. Um, Bayer, who we're going to get to in a bit, I, I absolutely love. Um and uh, has the potential to be the best receiver of the bunch and the best blocker of the bunch. Um, so I just don't, I don't, Schubert's the safe option, I guess, maybe you could argue. So th- maybe that's why they go in that direction. <laughs> but yeah, I, if, I'm, if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm not hoping for that because uh, I think it means if they go with Schubert, that tells me that none of these other guys flashed. Um, and I'd rather have one of these guys flash because that means you're getting an upgrade over <laughs> Eric Schubert, who is not exciting. Um, between, uh, uh, or I guess the, the third most likely guy I have is Sean Bayer. Bayer's an undrafted free agent out of Iowa um, who was one of the best blocking tight ends in this draft. Um, did very, very little as a receiver. I think he had uh, fewer than 10 receptions during his college career, but a, a really good blocker. And the reason I'm such a big fan of him is uh, he shows sneaky athleticism when he is uh, out running routes or um, does uh, get a rare target. Um, it doesn't seem like he, his lack of uh, receiving production was um, due to an inability on his part. Uh, and he's also an excellent blocker. Um, th- that you know for sure you're getting. And the Broncos need a blocker more than anything. And Bayer is a young cheap, healthy, great blocking tight end. He also offers a lot of upside as a receiver because he was recruited to Iowa as a wide receiver. Um, and so I think that's the dream. If you can recapture some of that uh, uh, receiver upside, not that he's ever going to be in the same zip code as Noah Fan and Albert Okwebenon, but I think if you can make him be, you know, even a, 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 I don't know, you'd want him to be better than Troy Fumagalli, I'm, I'm trying to think, but like a Jeff Hireman level receiving threat. With the level of blocker he is, he can be a, a asset to the offense and a really nice one. Um, so he's the guy I'm personally rooting for, but the fact he is a UDFA um, makes him the third most likely, in my opinion. Most likely for me comes down to Fumagalli and Beck. I think they like Fumagalli more as a tight end. I think he's definitely a better receiving threat. Um, You know, from the tight end position, a better blocker as well. Um, Beck, I think his big advantage is he's not much worse than Fumagalli, either as a blocker um, or as a a receiver. And he offers the versatility of being able to play fullback. And if the Broncos want a fullback, Beck might be their best option because he's the one with experience playing that position.
on to the offensive line now. Everyone's favorite position group uh, before we wrap up. Uh, hit these quick. At right tackle, a uh, really good battle here between Bobby Massey, Cameron Fleming, um, and Calvin Anderson. Of course, in the wake of uh, Jawan James's uh, uh, truly crushing uh, uh, injury. Man, feel uh, heart goes out to Jawan James. That is uh, horrendous luck, and, and you got to feel for him. Um, but it will be interesting to see who steps up and is able to replace him at right tackle because right tackle might be the Broncos' second biggest uh, or biggest need right now, depending on how you view the quarterback position. Um, it, it's a major problem if one of these guys doesn't step up. Uh, but fortunately, I think there's reason to have optimism. The team clearly believes a lot in Calvin Anderson. Um, interviewing uh, Benjamin Albright earlier in the offseason, uh, he told me and uh, my co-host Cameron Parker on the Mainly Broncos podcast um, that the Broncos were really uh, impressed by Calvin Anderson last season, coming in and filling in for uh, Garrett Bowles when I believe he had food poisoning uh, that first uh, game. Or not that first game, but that game in Carolina. Uh, that Calvin Anderson had no problem coming in and stepping up and playing really solid football that uh, day, especially for a guy who had uh, very little practice time during the week and very little uh, uh, time to prepare for the Carolina Panthers. Um, He's a Mike Munchak guy, and Munchak knows uh, infinitely more about uh, uh, offensive line play than I could ever hope to know. So I am one to kind of trust Mike Munchak's opinion there. Um, I think it's part of the reason the Broncos weren't more aggressive about adding a tackle in the draft. I think they have a very different view of their tackle position with Calvin Anderson. Um, and at the time, Jawan James, but Calvin Anderson is that guy who could step up uh, than maybe we had in the media or as a, a public. Um, with that said, I do think Cameron Fleming wins this battle at tackle. Uh, he was solid for the Giants last year. He wasn't a difference maker, but he wasn't a major problem on that line. And the Broncos just need solid right tackle play. Uh, Bobby Massey might be like the... It's weird with the ta- to talk about tackles as, as like bigger names, especially these kind of mid-level guys that were never superstars. Um, and Bobby Massey might have the bigger or shinier name, but he struggled a lot more last year. He was really bad last year. That might be, uh, you know, a, a factor of playing under a questionable coaching staff with a bad quarterback um, and a bad rest of the offensive line. You know, chemistry and teamwork on the offensive line is really important uh, to success, uh, to the success of the unit, um, and to an individual success as well. So maybe that explains some of it away, but. The Giants' offensive line wasn't world beaters last year either, and, and Cameron Fleming did look quite a bit better than me. Um, so just because we've seen more of it with him than Anderson, I do think Fleming ends up being the week one starter, but uh, I think Anderson is very, very much in the competition because the coaching staff uh, loves him. Looking at center, our final battle, Quinn Miners versus Lloyd Cushenberry. This is an interesting one because I think it was surprising to see the Broncos take a center in this year's draft uh, in the third round, Um, especially because 
they uh, seem to believe in Lloyd Cushenberry, at least based on some of their uh, off-season statements discussing how um, Cushenberry uh, uh, improved each game last year and that they were uh, happy with the growth they saw from him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, do they truly believe in him or was that kind of a, a lip service? Because Miners is an unreal talent. Um I think Cushenberry is going to be quite a bit more pro-ready. He was considered a pro-ready uh, center during last draft cycle. Now, that didn't end up being true, but he was viewed as pro-ready then. Um, and now he's had an entire year in the league to familiarize himself with the offense, the speed of the game, get uh, uh, some strength build up in an NFL weight program and whatnot. Um but uh, reading the tea leaves, it does seem like the Broncos have wavered in some of their belief in uh, Cushenberry. Part of this being, um, I recently sent out a tweet asking people to predict what the interior offensive line for the Broncos would be like moving forwards. Um, it had a poll, you know, and, and on Twitter polls, you can respond anonymously. Benjamin Albright, who is a excellent insider covering the Broncos, um, had no problem responding to that tweet and predicting an outcome that did not include Cushenberry. Um, he's not going to be like, they want to get rid of Cushenberry. He's not going to say that. But uh, it, that response, um, that was him laying out some tea leaves, I think, for us. Uh, so I, I, I definitely am li listening to that hint. Um, with that said... I just don't think Miners can do it before week one, right? Like he played at the Senior Bowl and looked awesome at the Senior Bowl, but he didn't play for University of Wisconsin-Whitewater in 2020 because COVID canceled their season. He hasn't played like in a game game uh, since 2019. And even then it was at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, not in the NFL. I think it is way too much to ask of or to expect from minors for him to come in from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and before the first game beat out Lloyd Cushenberry. I definitely won't count out Cushenberry struggling the first few weeks of the season and then benching him in favor of minors. I think that's a very likely outcome, but it does seem pretty unlikely that uh, minors would be able to translate to the game that fast um, and be able to unseat uh, Lloyd Cushenberry. But that is going to be another exciting battle to watch. Um, of course, there are also a lot of battles on the defensive end of the football, but we will get to that um, maybe next week uh, or, or the week after that. But we will get to that uh, in an upcoming episode. Um, until then, I'll see you guys then. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Zach underscore Seegers. That's Z-A-C-H underscore S-E-G-A-R-S. And make sure you are also following and being tuned into the Fired Up Podcast Network and the rest of these Fired Up Podcasts. Uh, with that said, let's get fired up and see y'all next week. 